You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Inflow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today I have Sarah Lavetso. She is the founder and director of the Ascend Micro School, a K-8 modern one-room schoolhouse in Colorado Springs. She's a mom of a profoundly gifted daughter and loves to build community with parents and support them on their journeys. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I am particularly interested in this conversation for a couple of reasons. One is my first career was in education and particularly in special education. So the whole idea of a micro school is something that I really want to hear more about from you. But even as I was looking at your bio about, you know, labeling this as a modern one-room schoolhouse, it occurred to me that that's one of the things I think makes my background interesting is that I went to a rural one-room schoolhouse from kindergarten through eighth grade um, back in the day. And I loved that experience. And I really think that that experience for me as an educator um, it, it definitely colored my experience, right? So I grew up in a one-room schoolhouse where the teacher taught different grade levels and planned for different, and we were all different ages in the same room. Um, so I think that gave me just a different perspective on on the, the classroom and on what education could be. So to hear you now be talking about this at, in a modern context, I'm super excited about. Yes, I, it, the one-room schoolhouse concept really mimics real life a lot more I think than traditional education I think so that's it, true it I personally think it's just neat to watch the kids grow and develop in that environment and see their leadership grow being with younger kids but also younger kids giving the older kids their innocence and creativity and imagination and so it's a neat combination to watch as an educator it absolutely is. So here's what I, I, I really want to dive into what you're doing in the school. But before we get to that, kind of give us some context on how this even came about. Sure. Um, so my husband and I moved to Colorado from Washington, D.C. I was a public school teacher in the D.C. public school system. Um, I was a classroom teacher in an elementary school for a while. And then I moved into being kind of like the gifted intervention specialist in that same school okay. before we moved here. And I had always wanted to get into gifted education. Um, I had been in gifted education. And then my niece, um, who is almost 15 now, but I 
was very close with her in her younger years. And so, and still, and now, but spent lots of time with her then. And in her elementary years, she really didn't go to a school that had any services for her. So she constantly felt pretty bored. And I was in college at the time. And so I, that kind of was my why. And even in the public school system that I taught in in DC, my principal recognized my love of working with neurodiverse children. So I often had a lot of the kids in special education, as well as a lot of the gifted learners in my classroom. So it was neat. And you're teaching so many levels at once, yeah. which every teacher does. Anybody right. who is a right. teacher understands if you're teaching fifth grade, you are not just teaching fifth grade. Exactly. You're teaching K through 12 in some instances. Absolutely. Um, so when I started, like fast forward to when we started thinking about the micro school, I was like, actually, this like a lot of people are like, how can you have so many different age kids in once? Like, <laughs> that's kind of all I've been doing. Like that's what every teacher does. So it didn't feel hard right Um, it's a different design of doing it for sure but it didn't feel hard um so then when we moved to Colorado I was finishing up one of my master's programs and was home with my daughter my daughter is currently six and a half but we moved here when she was one and around one and a half she was reading sight words and around two she was reading like easy readers and around two and a half she was reading chapter books oh wow so my background in gifted education told me we're going to have to come up with something for her that is unique because of her unique needs I did not feel right to me to send her to kindergarten at five or six and have her learning letter sounds when now at five or six, she can read anything like right. scientific journals, like I, all sorts of things. She devours nonfiction. She loves books. And of course, an added complication is how do we find book, fiction books that are appropriate for a right. six-year-old that right. can read anything? Yeah. Um, so it's obviously lots of fun, but it was a hard choice at that time when she was two and a half, because in Colorado, there's a robust school choice program and it's like where where are we going to put her and what can we do and homeschooling had been in the back of my mind because during my master's program I was working at a homeschool program teaching some um, science and social studies classes and it's like yeah but she's an only child and so all of this was going on in my mind because of course every parent wants to find what's best for their child and it's horrifying horrible trying to decide what is actually best because you constantly question yourself. Could and I so interrupt that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm uh, the question that's going in my mind is what is it that you were, what is it that you thought your daughter needed or what is it that you wanted to provide for her given her unique needs? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think mostly I wanted her to feel seen and not like boxed in. Okay. Um, as a child, I often felt like, and this got more into like middle school, but I felt often like I was expected to be in a certain box. I've, I think I, I before told you, like, I felt like there were limited career options for me. My mother was a teacher. And so I loved my, I loved my work. I probably would have chosen it anyways, but I think I felt like there were certain roles that I could play sure. in life. And so, um, and so I, I wanted more 
for her. I wanted her to be able to experience all of the different options in her life. I wanted her to be able to follow her passions. Um, I didn't want her to, one of the mem- one of the things that made me so nervous as an elementary school student was, you know, they would read the chapter and like, you would do like the popcorn reading. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I do remember that. And I hated that because I would be like done with the section or the chapter and I'd be like, what if somebody calls on me? I have no clue where we are. Right. And that gave me such anxiety for some reason. Sure. Um, and I didn't want her to feel punished for being able to move faster because uh, like my background working in gifted education, my, my graduate degree is in gifted education and talent development, which I chose that program specifically because I do believe every child, every person has a unique gift. Yeah. My daughter's happens to be learning things really quickly and making connections okay. where she wasn't explicitly taught. And there are many things she's not good at. And she will be the first one to tell you because she's highly critical of herself and very much a perfectionist. But um, I didn't, I wanted her to have an education that was very much tuned into her strengths and her passions and the freedom that she needed to go at her own pace and to pursue those passions. And especially for her to feel like she could make a difference in the world from a young age. Um, One of my my mentors who started a micro school a few years before I did, and I went and visited her school, one of the questions that she asked one time was, why do we as a society think so little of children? And that really stuck with me, honestly. I think it really is a question that is embedded into what our school is about because we want to break that cycle of thinking so little of children. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that those are a very long answer. And those are really high standards to, to live up (laughs) to. So, okay. So that's kind of the context here. This is what you're wanting to create. And so then how does this come about? Um, so when all of this was happening where she was, really learning to read. And I was really questioning, what do we do with her? Um, I was working as a gifted intervention specialist in a neighboring district. And I just felt very defeated professionally because in Colorado, unless you're at like a magnet school or like a charter school that's for these types of learners, I was only working one or two days per week. And so I did not feel like I was able to make an impact on the kids. And it just got me thinking like, if this is how limited I feel, imagine how limited those kids feel the other three or four days a week that they don't have services because neurodiverse kids, regardless of what their identification or diagnosis is, they are that way all the time, not just when they're in a pull-out class. Exactly. And I'm sure you experience that. Exactly. Ed, like they need those accommodations all the time. That's right. So, um, so And long story short, I ended up breaking my elbow and I couldn't drive to my school and, but I had a nanny with my daughter. And so I just found myself with four weeks of having two days to myself. My husband dropped me off at a coffee shop every, each of those days, because I wasn't allowed to drive. And I just met with different mentors and friends. And one of my mentors, I was talking to her about, well, my husband had like, my husband is in the tech industry. And so he was like talking with her about one of his companies, which is an AI company. And then she was like, AI and like, oh, that kind of 
it's like like Elon Musk, and this was years ago, right? And I was like, no, 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 he does something different. But he does have a really cool micro school in SpaceX, right? Um, which is was called Ad Astra, and now it's called Astra Nova School. Okay. Um, but she was like, I was she was like, what is a micro school? And I was like, and I was kind of explaining it, and I didn't do a good job because I okay. had researched it. I was just yeah. like, this is kind of what I've read about, like, right? In passing. And she just looked at me square in the eye and she was like, you need to start one of those here. And I was like, wow, I don't know about that. <laughs> and of course I got the wheels turning in my head. Yeah. And right. so I went home and I was like finding everything out I could about microscopes. Okay. Um, and the more down that rabbit hole I went, the more I was like, okay. And my, I talked to my husband's ear off about it. I talked to some close friends. Cause this is like a crazy idea. Cause yeah. where we live, a lot of the schools are very traditional. Okay. So something like this is very different. And I also knew the financial burden it could be to families because we are a hybrid school. So kids are at school one to three days a week. And then the other days they are homeschooled. So they're paying for private school tuition. Right. It's reasonable, but it's still, they're paying for sure. tuition which adds up when you have multiple kids, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but one parent has to have flexible enough work that they can homeschool right. on those two days and everything. So um, so it just seemed like a kind of a crazy idea. Yeah. And But the more people I talked to, and even if I, like friends and mentors, like as I, even if they had no clue I was thinking about it, as I would talk about Lydia, they were like, you should really need to do something for kids like this. There's not much here. Like, or like friends are like, my kid would really benefit from something like that. Or, um, older mentors were like, I wish that there was something like that when my kids were younger. Sure. And so that's kind of how it came to be. It was a long process. I spent several years researching, planning, um, thinking about it, praying about it and talking to a lot of people and part of it was, is this something the community needs? Because of course, like any new business, like it needs to be a need right. that a community has. Um, but a lot of it was in my head, the fear of what if this fails? Okay. Um, and so I've never been one that would, I rarely will do something that I think I'm not going to succeed at. And this had so many dynamics that like I could plan the best school ever. And if there wasn't a need, Right. Or I didn't get the do enough marketing or whatever. Right. It could fail. Right. Or like a host of other things such as COVID <laughs> or <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> exactly. There were so many dynamics. And so it came. But I think what kept me going was that vision of what I wanted for my daughter. Right. And knowing that not only could this help her, but it could help so many other kids. Right. Um, in their learning journeys and in their journey of becoming who they are meant to be and using their gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely had a lot at play in sure. terms of the why. And then um, about a year before I was planning to start the school, my mom died, mm-hmm. and, which was very hard for our family. Yeah. My, she and I were extremely close. My daughter was very close with her and she was, really like we were planning to kind of do this together because she would stay with us half the month, okay. most months. And so we were planning to do it together. And so that was, that made me think like, 
can I even do this right. without her? She was my, like, when, if you had asked me as a little girl, what I wanted to be when I grow up, it would have been, my answer would have been, I want to be my mom. Okay. And that was still the case um, as an adult. And so I was kind of left with where, where to go from there. And I saw a lot, my daughter really took it hard okay. and um, we definitely saw some behavioral things. I mean, grief is hard for everyone, but also like a young child who doesn't fully understand it, but understands it enough Mm -hmm. was hard. And so I just, as I was still thinking about it and praying about it, I really felt that part of the calling for the school was to be a place of healing. And much to my surprise, that's kind of what it has become. We have a lot of students who lots of different things in their life and families too have needed healing. And they found that place with a group of people who are for them and who love them and are cheering them on and are there to support them and their dreams Mm -hmm. and giving them the space to have those dreams. And I think that's something that's unique. And again, goes back to, we often think little of children as a society so we don't give them that space to dream right okay I really want to get into the healing and the dreaming part but before we go there I wanted to come back for a minute to the marketing piece or or that piece about is how do I know that this is a business or, or something that this community needs or wants tell me a little bit about your process for digging into that yeah I'm and most so I I'm not big on social media at all. So that was a piece I had to learn. Thankfully, my husband as an entrepreneur knows a lot about social media marketing. He didn't really help me that much. He said, if I was going to run a school that I needed to learn it for myself, <laughs> it like starting points, which was really great. Uh-huh. Um, but um, I basically, I just joined a number of local homeschooling Facebook groups and okay. parenting groups. Um kind of like a stalker <laughs> to see like what what they're talking like, about reading, like what what people were talking about to right. see like and there were a ton of people that were saying like does anybody know of a part-time homeschool program um because our districts here all have a one-day enrichment program that families can okay. enroll in uh, but it's like enrichment so it's not like as much about community as it is like your kids getting out of the house Got for the it. day and getting like extra things that you that are hard to do at home. Sure. Um, and a lot of those programs are enrichment, not like core subjects, which a lot of parents that I saw were looking for. We would really like somebody to, I really need somebody to teach my kid pre-algebra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't do it. Like, yeah. I would love something like that. And so instead of like offering enrichment, we actually, we do have a lot of enrichment things. Our afternoon or the afternoons at school are typically more enrichment, but we cover almost everything for math and language arts for the kids. And so the parents on their homeschool days, we can give them what they can work on, but it's a lower commitment in those skills because they're getting so much at school. Right. Um, that it's really just practice for the most part sure. at home through games and activities. Like, yeah, they're, they have like books that they can use and everything, but um, a lot of parents and kids find it a lot more approachable and the things that they that kids typically don't like, like learning long division and all sorts right, of right. academic skills can be done collaboratively, which just makes it 
a lot more fun. It sure does. Okay, so you're doing your community research, um, finding out what it is that, uh, what the needs are of the community. Mm-hmm. And you're, it sounds like you're finding that these needs are kind of aligning with what you're finding, what you wanted for your daughter, and yes. what a micro school might be able to offer, right? Is that yes. what I'm hearing? Yes. These pieces are all coming together. Yes. So w- was there a point where there was kind of um, like a decision, like, this is what we're doing, we're moving forward? Or was it um, more of a gradual, oh my gosh, I guess we're here and this is, this is happening? I would say the day that I pressed publish on the Facebook ads was probably the like, okay, this is happening. Cause like up till that point, like nobody was going to like look up ascendmicroschool.com. So it was right. like all of the webs, like the back end of everything had been up for a while, but like sure. nobody was looking at it. So like that was when it was like, okay, I'm doing this. My name is out there. My vision is out there. Like the website is somewhat vulnerable in terms of my vision for the school. Yeah. And so, and like is, I think some people would say a little bit controversial because what we're doing is very different than what a lot of people are used to. So um, it, I had, while I had been thinking about it and talking to people about it for a long time beforehand, I'd really been only talking to people that I knew would support my dream even if it wasn't like their jam, like but right. they would support me right. and what I was doing. And so it being just like out there was right. a little nerve wracking. So January 5th, 2019 was when I pushed that button. And oh, wow. Then we were off to the races. So that's just what, 18 months ago then? Um, yeah. No, two years. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Oh, yeah. the COVID year. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Try to forget it, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, <laughs> okay. So you, you're you're finding the the problems. You know what you want for your daughter. You're finding a solution with the micro school. Um, was there anything unique about setting up this kind of a business versus maybe another kind of a business where it's a service or a product that you're delivering um, instead of yeah. an education? So first, we're structured as a nonprofit, so that is a whole different ballgame. And we did hire a lawyer to, who's a family friend of ours to set that up for us. Sure. Profit law and stuff. So that was helpful. I think the biggest thing that my husband and I talked about, because he started many companies, um, was that with a school, you kind of, like, there's no like easing into it. Like, yeah, you're like recruiting families, you're finding places, to, like a, a location, right. you're finding staff. But then like, opening day is like all of the kids are there and yeah. it's go time. And right. so I think that I underestimated the pressure that I would feel with that. Just like my daughter, I am very much a perfectionist. And so um, it definitely was a lot of pressure those first couple months because I knew what it could be, but I also knew as a startup, it was going to take a while to get right. there. And I told our families from the beginning, like I, that this is very much an experiment. You're signing up for an experiment. Pretty sure it's going to work. We can always tweak things. We're very agile and flexible. And I also told them, I hope 10 years from now, it's still an experiment because that's what a good education should be, is constantly evolving based on where society is and what the skills the kids are going to need are. 
Absolutely. I love that um, mindset. And, and you answered one of the other questions I was thinking about is like, so you're recruiting these families and you're basically selling something that hasn't been delivered yet. Yes. Uh, so you're, you're selling futures almost in a way. Yes. Um, yes. So the, the stance of, of saying this is an experiment today and hopefully forevermore, we're always going to stay in this experimental state. Yes. And build yes. on what's working. And- And I think what really drew parents in and continues to um, is that like personal education, but also the community aspect. So each and every person that reached out to me, I offered to meet them for coffee. Okay. Just one-on-one. So I spent a lot of time in coffee shops Yeah. (laughs) Um, because like at first I was like, oh, it'll be like a half hour, right? They want to hear kind of like the elevator pitch. Right. But these meetings would take sometimes like two and three hours because- once families like saw like, oh, this is somebody that I can like open up to about like, they're not going to judge me for my thoughts, my opinions, the needs of my child. Like then it was just like, they would talk. And as I think my greatest asset in starting this school was being a mom, like having that why. Um, And that why doesn't have to be for everybody, obviously being a mom, but like this was designed for my child for our community. And so I was extremely passionate about it. Um, and also I, like I am in education. My goal the whole time has been to like empower kids. And that's the, that's, I felt very empowered as a child by my mom and dad, by community members, um, by some teachers, not all, um, and by elder mentors at the church and everything that we went to and everything. And so and in college as well. And then even as a new teacher in DC, like my administrators, my co-workers, they really empowered me. And that was incredible. And I felt very confident in my abilities through all of those stages. Um, And so I want to do that for kids. That has been a huge goal of mine. And I want that for my daughter. And so and parents do want that. They just don't know how to get it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and, and again, so this was a solution for them that made sense. Now, like there were, I met with a lot of people and probably only a third of them ever ended up at our school. Okay. But that's okay. I mean, our school is very full um, and we have a wait list at this point, but the ones that, cause it took an act of courage. And so, and for some finances were an issue as well. Sure. Of course. Um, but that step of courage, I, I would assume for all of our parents, they would say paid off and their kids are really thriving. And it's no, I no longer feel that pressure those first few that I did those first few months because it's, it's not my vision and dream anymore. It's a, it's our community's vision and dream. And we are as a parent, like, it's interesting because I'm the director, I'm one of the teachers, but I'm also a parent of a student. Right. And so figuring out how to navigate like, Hey, I also want to be like my kid and your kid hit it off. Let's be friends. Type <laughs> thing. It was a little awkward at first. Cause like, where's the professional boundary? Cause as a teacher, you are taught professional boundaries. Of course. And I just realized through my husband's urging, um, that we need, like, if, if I didn't establish that, like it was okay to be friends with 
the families at school, it was not going to be as fulfilling. And he was right, of course. And <laughs> so it seems like not everybody is like friends. Let's have play dates with everybody, but everybody has those people um, at school. And it's really fun because we all have like Fridays and Mondays off. So we have lots, like, it's very rare for me to not see a school family on the weekends. Oh, I love it. And so I think this is a great segue into the healing nature of the school. So tell me a little bit about how your school operates and what makes it unique. Um, and, and where's the, how does the healing come fit into all of that? Yeah. I mean, so coming to school, first of all, we're in Colorado Springs is definitely like kind of like the suburban sprawl, but it's a city. Um, but we're in the forest a little bit northeast of the city, still considered Colorado Springs, but it's a very unique environment. And so when the kids come to school, they're driving through this forest and we are incredibly blessed to be um, renting from a retreat center there. So we have, we have two buildings, one for the middle school, one for the elementary, and then um, 300 acres to be in. Wow. And so that in like being in nature itself is so healing. Absolutely. So that's, I think the first thing kids notice is they can breathe. I mean, Colorado has great clean air anyways, but like in the forest, it's just like you're breathing in the pine tree smell. You're listening to the birds. Like we love to go on nature walks and observe. Mm -hmm. And um, so that part is just incredibly healing. I think for everybody to be able to be outdoors and the people at the, retreat center are just so friendly and just huge smiles when they see the kids. And so I love that too. When we did our school musical this year, several of them came to the dress rehearsal and that was so special for the kids. I bet. um, To to have these people there. Um, So that is an amazing asset of the school. But I think, so we, our older students, most of them came from either like a different type of hybrid program or public school. Okay. Many of them were not homeschooled before. Okay. And so this was very different for them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, most new students that have come to us from a more traditional education um, take a little bit of time to get used to the freedom. Like we say that, like we emphasize that, but it takes a while to internalize. Like I'm actually free to do this. Like if I have a student that like, something in math is just not happening that day. Like having the freedom to say, I can't do this right now. Like it's not clicking. Can we come back to it later? That's not something in public school you typically do. Absolutely. (laughs) Wow. But we do that. And, but it takes a while for kids to get used to that. But once they do get used to it, it's, it's amazing to see how much they can persevere through when they know that there's always an exit door. Of course. Um, Yeah. And to know that they aren't expected to get it all the time. They're allowed to ask questions. They're allowed to ask for help. And like, not only is that allowed, but that's like wanted. We want them to right. do that. And because as teachers, we really view ourselves more as their mentors. Like, yes, of course, we deliver small group and individual content. But um, we in micro schools, teachers are normally called learning guides. Okay, And so we try to... Um, internalize that a little bit as we're guiding them through their learning and sometimes and that can look different sometimes it is like here let me help you with this sometimes it's a small group lesson sometimes it's a group thing but it's always from the perspective of like your learning is yours we're here to 
help you. Mm-hmm. We can come, help you come up with ideas. We come up with ideas, but at the end of the day, it's your learning. And if you have, if like we're over here making a mural about something, but you want to do a skit about it, go for it. If you want to do a research project about it instead, go for it. If you want to write a rap song, go for it. Like yeah. having that freedom for them to choose different things. And the longer we're at this and the longer the kids are at the school, the more they take advantage of that. So that's really neat to see that growth in right. that initiative. Right. So, um, so yeah, I forget what your initial question was. That's that okay. Was so it, coming back to, you know, the, the healing part and yes. to me, and I'm, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth and t- correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the healing aside from your location, must also come from the way that you engage with the students. So these are perfect examples about how you engage with students differently than a traditional education system might. But are there other things that you do either intentionally or maybe even unintentionally that uh, provides that context for the healing? Yeah. um, So micro schools typically have two adults in every group. So we have a lot of adults. So we have six staff members for 40, 40 to 45 kids, depending on the day, which as you know, as a public school teacher is a lot of teachers. Yes. Um, right. And that is the intention behind that. In my mind, when we were starting was to have somebody else to help with the academics. Okay. But now like the unintentional um, consequence of positive consequence of that is the kids always have somebody to go to. There's always someone there that can talk with them mm-hmm. and, because especially, I think all kids have big feelings and they need to know that all of those feelings are okay. Right. And sometimes they just need to talk through it. But working with neurodivergent kids who are, a lot of our kids are a little more sensitive. Sure. Um, to like external stimuli, but also to their own feelings. They're very sensitive to that. And so sometimes in the middle of like a, a read aloud or a novel discussion or a Socratic discussion or something, they're feeling something and there's always an adult they can go to and they know that it's okay to have those conversations. They know that it's a safe place and having so many adults allows the freedom for the kids to kind of pick who their person is, who they, who they connect with so much. And so there's always that option. And I think that knowing that they have that support system is really valuable and really helps them work through things in the moment instead of having to like shove it down and get through the day and then talk about it later. Yeah. We can address it then. And knowing that they are cared for and safe is essential to learning, of course, of course, but also essential to healing through things. And so, and we just have a fantastic, I could not sing praises of our staff members enough they are amazing and love the kids so deeply and we're just so grateful I'm so grateful for them the parents are so grateful for them um obviously teaching is a challenging job and it's really an art form yes yeah and so they do that part so well but they love the kids so much and um they love my kids so much like my child feels loved and safe and that's great Feeling safe also means that sometimes we are emotional at school. So we do a lot of working through conflict resolution, um, teaching them that conflict is a normal part of life, teaching them their conflict styles and how to be peacemakers, which is great for real life. And it's also great to work. Um, I've told a lot of parents because I've had parents be like, 
is there bullying at school? And like, no, we don't have bullying, but we do have a lot of conflict, but no more than in a normal school. It just is it more apparent because we don't say just go deal with it mm-hmm. because we have the time to work, help them work through it. So they feel supported in that. So yes, it's normal for a kid to come home and be like, I had a conflict at school today or this happened right? and we worked through it, but it's so much better for them to practice working through this now when the stakes are so low than when they are an adult and there's conflict at work or with their spouse or something and they have no tools for that. Exactly. And and so like in some ways that's even like preventing the need for healing later on down the road because they have those tools and you can totally see it. We our middle school this year will have um, 14 girls, which when I tell people that they're like, oh, (laughs) and I have to be like, no, no, no. They are the most precious, sweet girls. They're such good friends to each other. They're so supportive of each other. And it's amazing to see. And several have commented, like, I never knew this could be what friend, this could be what friendship is, that they, they are experiencing what it's like when they have friends that are for them. Right. And it's not a competition. It's not, um, it's not about how great you are at this or how popular or what your interests are. They all just love on each other. And of course, like everybody has like their few friends who are their, their closest. Sure. Sure. There's very little conflict. Um, and I've worked with a lot of these same girls the past two years. So as an educator to get to watch this development is so rewarding. Um, I'm already imagining like four years from now when they graduate and what a sappy mess I'm going to be. Oh my gosh. They're just so dear to yeah. my heart and to the hearts of our staff members. And so it's, it's neat to watch what was once just like a glimmer of an idea become this thing that is just so much bigger than any one of us. Yeah. And watching the kids come into their own and realize their giftings and know that it's okay to like change, like those giftings can look so many different ways. Right. And we do a lot of service learning. Um, okay. And so we're partnered with an orphanage and women's ministry in Guatemala. And the kids have really worked hard to create projects, raise money, all sorts of things for this ministry. This past year, they decided so a little bit of backstory we were reading the phantom toll booth during virtual learning it's like okay a fun read aloud which is one of my favorite books and if anybody listening has never read that book you need to read it it is the best okay um, the I phantom toll it. book okay toll the booth. phantom toll booth by norton jester okay yes. it's hilarious especially if anybody like really likes plays on words okay it's great okay um, my daughter reads it like probably once a week and I love like watching it. She's reading her little smile. But, yeah. um, I know. But when I was in DC, I helped direct our school musicals and we did the Phantom Tollbooth one year. And so at the end of reading, I showed them the video of that, the recording of that. And some of them were like, we should do a musical. And I'm super musical. A lot of our staff is very into music and okay. musical theater. And so I was like, we can do that. And so I, over the summer, ordered a bunch of... Um, scripts to like look through and have them choose but they decided they wanted to write their own musical oh wow Um, so yeah I love it and they called it everyday heroes and it was about a like the basic premise is that 
um, small acts of kindness make us everyday heroes and that everybody has the power inside of them to be an everyday hero. And it's beautiful. I cried while we were writing it. I (laughs) cried while they were rehearsing it. I (laughs) cried during performance because it's just so beautiful. And the coolest thing was, so the older group was, did most of it, but every, every kid in the school was in it. Okay. But the younger kids, as the year progressed this past year, they were like, acknowledging they were everyday heroes. Like I had one little boy like come and get me because one of his friends fell down. Okay. And I was like, that was so kind of you to get him, get me so I could help. And he was like, that's because I'm an everyday hero. Oh my God. Yes, you are. You are. Wow. And so that empowerment starting from a young age of, I mean, first of all, their musical was fantastic. They wrote most of the songs too. Oh, wow. It was very much student led. I just carved out time in the day to rehearse. But they did all the props. They we had a producer, we had a student director. It was amazing. <laughs> um, so of course now we're doing one this year. Uh huh. Sure, you started a tradition because this now. This is a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> this is a new thing. Yes, and I couldn't be prouder of them. Oh. And they raised tons of money for the orphanage too. It was so great. That's beautiful. And but just showing, like, not only did they feel empowered, but also showing. The world, whoever watched that, which, you know, like we had the video done, so families were able to share it and everything, Right, showing them what kids can do when you give them the space to create and to be passionate about something. Yeah. And we, at our school, we really try when a kid has an idea, we really try to not say no. Okay. We might have to help them tweak it. Sure. <laughs> um, of course. But typically we try really hard not to say no when we figure out how we can help them work towards that idea. And so when they see that every day, then these bigger things seem a lot easier to accomplish because they know that they're supported and they know that they we believe in them. And more importantly, they now believe in themselves. And that's the kind of kids that we need to be raising right now. Kids who believe in themselves and kids who believe in following their dreams and that they actually have the ability to change their world, whether it be their world, like just their neighborhood or their community, or, I mean, at a global scale, I truly believe our kids can make that huge of a difference. And it starts with how they are raised and educated to that mindset is so important. Yeah. I can really see the, as you were saying, preventative, the need for healing, but the healing here, you know, and I'm thinking about these kids and what it's going to be like for them when they get into their young adulthood. You know, there's a lot of kids, I think there's a lot of kids who kind of just follow the rules, like follow the rules, get through school. And then all of a sudden now I've got to make decisions for myself and not quite sure how to do that or how to go about that. And what I'm hearing you describe is that you're teaching these skills all along the way. You're teaching them at at a time when the consequences for any failure, and I use that term lightly, um, it is minimal. And it's it's instructional at that point um, versus now I'm an adult and I got to figure this out. And if I don't figure it out, I may not have a place to live or I may not be able to get to work or I, I may just not be happy because I don't know how to be happy. To yeah. teach kids how to be happy, that what a, an amazing gift. Yes, it's definitely a group effort, and it's just so humbling to watch 
And I'm really excited. Our middle school is, we're starting it this year. And I'm really excited for that new element of the school because they, like, they are so ready to be yeah. leaders of the of school. And they've already been doing it, but to like be the like formal oldest in the school and take that ownership mm-hmm. and be able to transform our school and to make it their own is really cool as well. And I mean, we could get into all sorts of like curriculum and teaching methods yeah, and all yeah. sorts of things for all of this, but like, yeah. that's not what this is. The bigger right. idea is the more we can empower our kids, the better their lives will be. And the more we can encourage them in how to make decisions and how to critically think and how to identify their passions and how to problem solve. Those are all skills that are very tangible and very much needed and are great qualities of an entrepreneur. So, Oh my gosh, you're in my head. That's exactly what I was thinking of. This is like um, school for entrepreneurship. Um, Because when I'm... Which we do do, entrepreneurship. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things I've really come to realize both personally and professionally is that a lot of the entrepreneurship is just having having the courage to believe that something else is even possible. Uh, yeah. and, and then believing that I, a little me, could have something to do with that solution. And yeah. when you're giving kids the opportunity to do that on a daily basis, um, they won't have the same questions that many of us have had, you know, when we're, we want to do something. Uh, I, you know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and some of us have that drive. We have that why that you were talking about. But if we don't have the belief that I'm capable of doing this, then we struggle getting right. off the line. We have a lot of false starts. And, and the more false starts we have, the more that, conv- that convinces us that, oh, we shouldn't be doing this anyway, <laughs> right? Yes. When like a lot of times an idea that an entrepreneur has is so important and so needed. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, which I'm not going to remember who said it, it this is a paraphrase from a book that I read by one of our pastors in DC, but um, essentially it is maybe you're the one that is called to influence the one that will influence the thousands. Oh, wow. And that is such like, that has kind of become my teaching mantra. Yeah. Um, that's what I saw in my mother when she was a teacher and just in her life, that was the type of role model she was like quietly influencing those that were put into her path. And as a teacher, that's really what we do. Like it's a humble job, right? but like when you look at the, when I look at the kids that I am spend my days with, like they are going to influence thousands. I am confident of it. Yeah. And that is so cool to watch. And in like, yes, that is an education, but so many different domains for entrepreneurs exist. And that's always the option. There's always a way to influence one or two or thousands and the world needs those things. It does. It absolutely does. And I think that is a powerful way to end our conversation. I love that quote, being the one that influences the one, right? Something to that effect. Can you, can you yeah. give it to us one more time? Maybe, maybe you're called to be the one that will influence the one that will influence thousands. That's beautiful. And that, that like paraphrase is from a book by Mark Batterson. He has written a lot of books, including The Circle Maker, um, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. He's a great author. So if anybody wants some like inspirational um, writing, it, his books are great. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you for that recommendation. Before we leave, how could if somebody's listening to this and wants to know more about what you're doing, maybe to do something in their own community, how can people get a hold of you? Sure. Um, they can reach out to me by email. My email, my school email is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at ascendmicroschool.com. So A-S-C-E-N-D, microschool.com. Um, and then our website is ascendmicroschool.com and our Instagram is also just ascendmicroschool. So if you're like, is this the right email? Right. My email is also on the website. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah. And if anybody's thinking of doing those things, I love to talk with people who are um, aspiring micro school founders. So, or homeschool co-op founders or whatever. I'm happy to share because we need, the world needs more um, of these sorts of environments and the kids need more of these environments. We sure do. Thank you so much for what you are doing. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.